Hi, I'm Ellie Main, an artist and podcast host from London in the UK, and this is Recovery Mode, a podcast about the 12 steps. Each week, I sit down with my friend Emily Sledge, a recovery teacher and sponsor, and we talk about the steps, we tell recovery stories, and we interview some incredible people about their experiences in recovery and beyond. This is a podcast for everyone, because so is recovery. And welcome to the first episode of Recovery Mode. Whether you know me through my podcast, What, or my work at Rooster Teeth, or whether you're brand new to me, welcome. I'm really glad you clicked on this podcast. A few years ago, I went through a 12-step recovery program for anxiety and depression. It was kind of situational, kind of not. I was going through a very difficult period in my life personally, and found that no matter what I did to climb out of it, nothing was really working. And the truth about depression and anxiety is, other than it being pervasive, chronic and debilitating at times, is that after a while, sometimes people kind of stop checking on you. The message shifts from sympathy to personal responsibility. Inevitably, you reach a point where you start hearing it's on you all around you. That if you tried harder, got up earlier, worked out more, ate better, kept a journal, smiled bigger, stayed positive, maybe you wouldn't feel anxious or sad or that there is just something missing. Whoop, don't worry. I'm not about to evangelize to you. This certainly isn't a Christian podcast. Yes, the 12 steps were founded on a Christian program, but I'll get to all that later. Trust me, I'm not trying to trick you. I genuinely think that recovery is an amazing tool for everyone, for self-discovery and processing through things whilst at the same time building connections and community and exploring the idea of a higher power, be that religious, humanist, or anything in between. For me, simply put, recovery helped. After it, I felt better. And so I want to use the skill set that I have in creating content to hopefully help someone else. And I have a co-host. My good friend and 12-step leader, Emily Sledge, is going to pilot this ship with me. We're going to be unpacking each of the 12 steps, interspersed with some awesome people, both familiar and new to us, joining the podcast to tell their life and recovery stories. Before we jump in, though, I wanted to chat with Emily and explain recovery. Explain what we think it is and what we think it isn't who it's for, and why we believe that being in recovery mode should be something we can all tap into when we need it. So here's that conversation. So Emily, will you tell, oh, I know, because I already know you, but will you tell <laughs> anyone who's listening a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I am a Texas girl born and raised, uh, extremely Texan, Same. as in <laughs> when we were a country the country of Texas, wow. the president gave us land and my grandparents have that land still. So no I'm way. Very, uh, yes, absolutely. I'm related to Davy Crockett girl. I'm just <gasps> about, yes, it's real. I didn't you know, know like that. in the movies. Yep. It's real. Yeah. I'm about as Texan as they come. Okay. However, yeah. I, as you know, I am now a Colorado transplant mm -hmm. uh, living on the edge of the Rocky mountains and, and the Springs. Sounds okay. awful. It's terrible. <laughs> all of that winter wonderland out there. Oh. I'll tell you today, somehow there was snow all over, all over the ground and I was walking around in a t-shirt and it was lovely. And I played with my one-year-old boy and it was just it was fabulous. Aww. Yeah. So I have a one-year-old boy, four-year-old girl. That's the majority of my life, but my passion is recovery. Mm. Uh, got into recovery in 2012 and uh, I've been doing it for myself and leading other people through it ever since. You and I met shortly before, but we really became close through doing a recovery program. 
that you yeah. let, I was in it. Okay. And Emily taught me through the 12 steps, which if you've ever been lucky enough to be a part of a 12 step program of any kind, you understand how the irreversible bond that has formed throughout that mm. process mm. we went from recovery sisters of, <laughs> yeah we went from being church acquaintances and friends to to really knowing each other and doing life together what's your journey like with recovery what got you started on it what keeps you interested in it what brings you back to teach it and to lead other people through it mm. in college I really started wrestling with this idea that there are certain pieces of myself that I'd wanted to change for a long time. And I just couldn't seem to <laughs> affect that change, experience that change. I'd been a Christ follower my entire life. And the whole thing behind that is supposed to be like, oh, well, you know, Jesus changes you and brings you freedom. <laughs> and, I, and I believe that, but it was like, okay, but what does that mean when I don't right. feel free at all? So yeah, I just really wrestled with that and uh, made me really question my faith and God and, or is there just something wrong with me? I don't know that I just can't, can't seem to shake these things that make me feel trapped. Mm. And a friend of my husband's came to him and was like, Hey, I need to make an amends with you. I have been going through the 12 steps for self-hate. So I just want to apologize for the ways that that has impacted you in our relationship. And it was incredibly impactful for him. He was like, I didn't even know you could do the 12 steps for something other than substance abuse. Right. So he jumped right in. I was like, well, you know, I guess I could do it for this. Or I could do it for that. You know, perfectionism. I, I really struggled uh, with self-hate, you know, motivation issues, a comparison, criticism. You know, I was like, ah, which of these things? And then finally, I just kind of had the sense like, uh, so uh, you're not going to do the 12 steps because there are too many things you could do the 12 steps for. <laughs> I can't pick one. <laughs> right. I was like, I feel like that's illogical. So I, you know, I just, <laughs> I just went one night. I was like, I'm just going to go and maybe I'll figure it out later. I just know mm -hmm. I'm not free. I don't feel whole and I don't want life to continue on like this. I want a new normal. My yeah. normal was not good enough for me. You know, I got in and it felt very weird at first, you know, because recovery is really stigmatized. It's for those people who can't help themselves. You for know? sure. Yeah. And so it just kind of felt silly in there. You know, like my, my life was not destroyed or anything like that. My life was very normal and more or less under control, right? <laughs> um, there came a point. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so I started experiencing that, that community that you were talking about, just people being so real and authentic and just straight up saying all the things that you, you've, you've thought before, but you would never say out loud. And, and that was so refreshing. And then getting into the, to the steps and experiencing, oh, this is what it looks like to partner with a higher power to experience change in my life so that it's not just me, but it's also not, oh, like, oh, well, it's all on him or it, or however you call it. It's this partnership. And I finally, finally experienced real life change. And it was so transformative of my trajectory in life that I was like, I want everyone to experience this. And so it became my passion pretty much overnight. It used to to me that was really interesting which was right now, especially where we're at in the world right now, we can't shy away from just coming out of what is probably the most insane year of a lot of our lives. Mm. And the sense of absolutely overwhelming lack of control <laughs> that we that we all have. And you said, see, most people think the world needs to be changed, but change happens in individuals. 
And that's something that recovery can do. Yeah. You know, there's all kinds of phrases out there, like, you know, what starts here changes the world and, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Hook up. That's it. Be the change you wish to see in the world. And, and you know, what does that mean? I'm starting uh, with the man in the mirror. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not a new idea, but so many of us see so much going on in the world and we feel so helpless, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so we just kind of want to check out. Well, when things seem super overwhelming or if you're in that state of feeling helpless and or depressed or anxious, Yes. And those are the times when these habits, these coping mechanisms that we all have, the tendency to numb out, the tendency to react, overreact, underreact, whatever it is, like that's when these things come out in, in full force that we feel trapped by, right? Exactly. That we feel powerless over the way that we res- respond to stuff. And so we thought that the top of a new year and having just had one of the most insane years of most of our lives, it, was, it just kind of felt like the right time for all these things, all these seeds to come to fruition. So I thought that an interesting way to start and probably a necessary place to start would be to really define what recovery is. We've touched on it a little bit in terms of obviously we can, we've been talked about it being something that's life-changing, something that's healing, something that's transformative and something that's mm-hmm. not just about substance abuse, but I think it would be beneficial to really strip it back what is recovery what are the 12 steps in terms of how we both see it from our different perspectives so I've come up with a sentence that for me defines what recovery is Mm -hmm. and I'd love to get your thoughts on it yes what I wrote down after a while of thinking about it was that recovery is the lifelong process of self-awareness forgiveness and hope for life Mm. which is a lot (laughs) Lots to unpack there. There's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) So I kind of want to take it like key point by key point of that sentence and go through it and explain why I chose each of those words, right? Yes, yes. The first one being the, no joke, the first one being lifelong. (laughs) I think that everyone talks about like doing the work and therapy and how, you know, the work never ends and that can feel like quite a daunting perspective or prospect if it's something Mm -hmm. that you've never sort of thought about before or started to tackle. But that was sort of the first thing that I thought when I wrote that word down, I was like, oh, that already seems kind of feels heavy, lifelong, that's kind of final. (laughs) Um, But the more that I started to think about it, I saw the other side of it where actually it was kind of freeing because mm-hmm. they're not being an end point. Like they're not being a point of being quote unquote done means that there is no golden standard, right? There's no way to be that's perfect. And so they're not being a golden standard that you're trying to achieve then means that there's no shame associated with how fast you get there or or if you get there at all. And in the way it also sort of removes the barrier of comparison to other people, right? And mm. I know that so many times in my life, in and out of recovery, I've had that little thought in the back of my head. I say, well, well you know, how are they doing? What, how comes they're doing better? Especially mm. in points of shared trauma in my life. Like, why do I experience this in this way? Or why am I still affected by it when it feels like they're not? Mm. Obviously, completely misunderstanding the, you know, that I, I'm never in someone else's head. So who <laughs> I actually know. But by diving into and sort of leaning into the idea of it being a lifelong process, mm-hmm. it's actually like there's not a particular thing I'm striving for here other than what is relevant to my own life. Yeah. And how I want to be and change in that. And so, something you can depend on. Yeah. You know, you know? Right. something that could be a through thread. Yeah. Like an internal support system. You want that to be lifelong. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want one day your car breaks down and it's like, well, <laughs> You don't always get roadside assistance. You're like, no, I always want 
<laughs> I always want roadside assistance. That's it. That's it. And then self-awareness. I feel like at this point, it's become a bit trite. You know, it's kind of become a phrase that no longer has a tons of meaning sometimes because mm. it gets thrown around a lot. I don't know, like triggered. Anything yes. that's become like a popular meme of a word. Sure. And that's actually, I feel like, was something that I learned through recovery and Brene Brown. Learning that I was in react mode much more than I thought mm. during my day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. That coping mechanisms and instincts and patterns were so deeply ingrained. And learning about how they were very much taught or learned uh, at a super early age and they had become habitual like the way that I could be avoidant or confrontational or feel anxiety or feel depression or feel anger or go into fight and flight or freeze or you know any kind of coping mechanism of like wanting to numb out or wanting to overstimulate understimulate anything to not think about what need to think about in order to get through it I was in the sense of reacting to that so much more often than I was processing Mm-hmm. so often it was, it was almost like a switch would flick I would go into how my body my mind knew to essentially keep myself safe from being uncomfortable mm-hmm. and that was a much deeper definition and understanding of self-awareness than I'd known before which was like I can be a bit selfish <laughs> or mm-hmm. I like to make jokes if I'm uncomfortable it was like no hang on <laughs> It made me realize so often that the things that I do were unconscious and still so deeply learned. And then the forgiveness part was obviously, you know, there's a lot to do there with trauma and things that you've been through. But a big part of that for me was not just learning how to forgive other people, but learning how to forgive myself. Mm. Um, And a big part of it for me was in the self-forgiveness, learning how to treat myself like I treat those people closest to me. Like as trite or as like corny as it sounds like, hey, don't say that about my best friend. You know what I mean? Of like trying to learn to apply that to yourself. And then lastly, the hope for life is for me a huge part of like the reason that we go into recovery or the reason that we sort of approach something as big as doing a 12-step journey is that you have to, you have to hope that it can get better, right? Mm -hmm. You have to hope that you can get better or that things, situations can get better, though not all the time. You can get to a place where sometimes you will feel better than you feel in your day-to-day life when you feel trapped and uncomfortably out of control. Mm. <laughs> and so that And was... to not feel so threatened by what's right. going on too. Like that's a hopeful thing in and of itself. Right. To not to not feel threatened by everything that's going on around you. That it's like this is uncomfortable, this is hard, but it's yeah. gonna pass and it's gonna be okay. Yeah. So if I if I was to define recovery beyond meeting in a room, usually in in a church on a, on a sort of a Wednesday evening. <laughs> yes. um, it's that, it's the lifelong process of self-awareness, forgiveness, and hope for life. Well, since you've covered everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, what I came up with is uh, it is discovering a limitless strength or force outside of yourself that empowers you to fight for change in your life, your relationships, and your world. Mm. but you have to be willing to trust that higher power even more than you trust yourself. Mm -hmm. Take me through that. You know, I think that in our culture, it's all about us being strong enough for ourselves. You know, you don't need anyone, but you uh, just try hard enough and you can achieve whatever you want in your life. You are in control of your life. Mm -hmm. You know, just all these messages of you need to be strong enough by yourself. 
Right. Or learn how to be strong enough by yourself. Mm -hmm. And that was not working for me. (laughs) You know, try harder. (laughs) Yeah. Try harder did not set me free. That's all I know. No. Try harder did not change my life and my world. And so that's the discovering part that the discovering and then like, or like exploring, like, okay, if I can't be strong enough for myself, is there somewhere I can find strength mm. and power that I can rely on? Mm-hmm. Um, and there is, <laughs> you know, there <laughs> is, there's a, yeah, there's a strength, <laughs> there's a force, there's a power outside of us. You know, for me, I call that power God. I call that power Jesus. I have heard people call that power Yoda, you know, <laughs> or the the person that your dog believes that you are, you know, yes. <laughs> something outside of yourself that is this higher good. Oh my gosh. I think there was one time I was like at a yoga class quite recently after I'd moved to Austin and just feeling terribly awkward and out of place and the alien that I am in, in America. <laughs> I say that just because we literally get given an alien number. If you've gone through American immigration, so then you know what I mean. But I was standing at the beginning of this yoga class, quite new to yoga and all of it, and all of the sort of Austin granola culture. <laughs> and then the lady said, now say a word to dedicate your practice to. And I didn't realize that she didn't mean out loud. She meant like, in in your third eye or something and so I said really loudly to a room of women that I didn't know cheese (laughs) you Um, would because I was thinking really hard about the pizza I was going to eat after I did the yoga oh I've never been more mortified (laughs) (laughs) so for you your higher power might be cheese cheese is rather magical it's pretty great but I love that I love that it's like finding the excitement in it in a way of like finding the exploration and finding the discovery something attractive rather than this sort of I like that you use the word limitless because I feel like it is such a limiting message to say like everything is within you Mm. I love the fighting for change a lot of the times we really do have to fight again ingrained coping mechanisms and the way that we want to respond the way that we know maybe that how responding has worked in the past to shut things down it really is like Mm -hmm. a fight against our what feels like our instinct sometimes Mm -hmm. right well and you're not you're fighting all these things outside of yourself right like the pieces of culture that tell us that we're not good enough if we don't look Mm -hmm. a certain way or we're not good enough if we have not achieved certain things or if we are don't have uh, a spouse or kids that look this way or act this way or our body doesn't look the right way if yeah 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 and then or or a family you know family sending us messages about who we are and about the world about life and constantly uh, bombarded from every angle but and but then also of course we're fighting things inside of ourselves Mm -hmm. right Uh, our own messages of shame our own belief system that says x is the only way to deal with things whether that is anger or drinking or social media or hyper productivity or hypo productivity mm-hmm. or, you know whatever it is and so uh, it is whether we recognize it or not i feel like it is this constant pushing back or being run over by all of the messages outside and within ourselves so many people i've spoken to who've gone through a recovery journey have thought they were going in for one thing and coming out, have come out feeling really healed in a complete curveball aspect of their lives. Mm. They're like, I didn't even even know that that was affecting me, mm-hmm. and I feel such relief from it.
a lot of people, when you say recovery, they instantly think AA, mm-hmm. Alcoholics Anonymous, because that is by far and away the most known about recovery program that we have. I think everybody knows like, hello, my name is, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> you know about more about this than me. So the 12 steps is sort of a foundation for a lot of different recovery programs. Um, the one that I went through with you was more generalized just about spiritual recovery. Mm-hmm. Any recovery really has you examine why we're doing what we're doing and question everything and explore, is there another way to be doing things? The 12 steps were founded almost hundred years ago for alcohol specifically, and millions found freedom through it. So people with other issues, you know, drugs are an easy next step, but then sex and love addicts and food and, you know, just all, all kinds of things. There's, I've heard there's pretty much a recovery group for everything. We turn to things that were meant to be good and we twist them in an effort to get our needs met, but in, mm. a, toxic, in a toxic way. Right. Because that's what alcohol is. That's what drugs or, or emotional eating or um, yeah, numbing out on social media or whatever it is. We have very real needs. We're trying to get met. You know, Uh, we're trying to not feel overwhelmed. We're trying to not feel anxious. We're trying to just feel good. We're trying to feel something other than what we're feeling. Again, we have to have something to do with those negative emotions. So what are we channeling them into? If you don't have something healthy and good to channel those hard experiences into, they're going to be channeled into something unhealthy automatically. Mm -hmm. I just think... From what I've seen in my time in recovery is that our tendency is to channel our things into something that, that hurts us instead of helps us. Mm-hmm. So all recovery is about learning why am I channeling my negative emotions into this one thing and how can I learn to redirect them uh, mm-hmm. so that I am processing all of those negative emotions instead of stuffing them down or covering them up with a glossy cover that looks and feels a lot better mm-hmm. and, and still getting free from them, processing them and then getting free from them. So it literally is one step at a time, right? Like you go in sure. with this understanding of this is going to be hard. This is going to take a long time. Yeah. And a lot of stuff is going to come up. We're going one step at a time. And the steps aren't easy. Like each step is very different. Each step is difficult and it builds on itself. Mm-hmm. Step, you know, from step one to step two to step three, it is really a journey to go through it all. It never presents itself as a quick fix, right? It's not just like mm-hmm. do this one thing. It's not a magic pill. It's not a YouTube video, one YouTube video and your whole life is different. It's not a one gratitude journal and your whole life is different. It's this is a foundational look at why these difficult things in your life are sticking around or why mm-hmm. you can't seem to move on or change. Why two weeks of healthy eating and going to the gym hasn't made everything different. We've touched on it, but I wanted to dig into a little deeper of what I feel like recovery is not, especially as another thing that the super fun year of our Lord 2020 brought up was a huge uptick in productivity culture and Mm. what I would call like toxic positivity Mm -hmm. Um, and so just for anyone listening I wanted to really delineate what recovery is and what we're going to be talking about over these next coming weeks and months with that movement that kind of self-help movement because I really think it comes down to what you were saying earlier toxic positivity and productivity culture are founded upon the idea that you are completely and totally in control of your life 
Mm. <laughs> and not just like everything's up to you but like everything's up to you as long as you work hard enough and deny your negative feelings then your life will change mm-hmm. if I may I do think that it is um kind of it's quite a quite an American value which is the harder mm. I try the more I work the happier I'll be mm-hmm. you wouldn't say that, the, that English people are known as being toxically positive at all <laughs> <laughs> probably not probably not <laughs> If you really, like if 100% truly you thought you were completely in control of everything that happened every day in your life, would you actually be able to get out of bed? Dear God, it'd be so overwhelming. It'd be incredibly overwhelming. That's part of what's so powerful about it is that we're going to be exploring the difference between choices and control, mm-hmm. right? Obviously our day is full of choices, but I know that I have made plenty of choices that did not have the outcome that I wanted. Right. And that's the difference right there. We don't get to pick the outcome of our choices. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and so that's why we have to explore that, like all these things that we're trying so desperately to control, uh, either by over-engaging or under-engaging with whatever it is in our, in our lives, you know, relationships or work or, you know, fill in the blank. It, you know, try as, try as, as we might, we can't. And, and, you know, I think there's this massive rise in anxiety as well. Right. And I honestly think that the majority of anxiety is the, is feeling completely overwhelmed by, by the things we're trying to control and cannot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that the more that we release the idea that we need to be in control, the less anxiety we experience. It is a different way to approach life so it doesn't feel so overwhelming and defeating. Mm. It's not a one and done at all. And it's supposed to be that way because these things, these massive things deserve the time. They deserve, I think, the weeks and the months of carefully and gently pulling apart because we're talking about some of the most fragile pieces of our emotions our hearts our psyches you can't go to one conference and blast it all away it doesn't work like that the human brain doesn't work like that right (laughs) these things are held really tightly within our bodies within our hearts within our minds within our souls if you're a spiritual person and and so it requires i think time and grace and gentleness like you're opening a christmas present without wanting to rip the wrapper like if you're an old lady you want to save and iron the paper and use it next year (laughs) you know (laughs) like that kind of gentleness my grandma still does that um for a lot of people really it is like unpacking and looking at some of if not the worst things that happen to you Mm. in your life it requires community Mm. it requires of safety a place of safety trust and time you can have therapy for years until you have a session that feels like a breakthrough right yes yes i'll say this about recovery i am such a proponent of therapy for sure mm-hmm. uh, i'm in it right now <laughs> but uh, you do not need to wait years to have a breakthrough in recovery let me tell you that uh for me it was like day one coming up against these huge ideas oh. and truths and I and questions to wrestle with mm-hmm. and it was and yeah for day one feels powerful it doesn't mean my life is changing yet but it means my perspective is shifting almost right. from day one I really want to address what I feel like for me and for, and for lots of my 
good friends in my life who I, you know, I talked to you about when I was going through recovery and I've talked to you about that I was starting this podcast. The question that always comes up is, well, do you have to be a Christian? Mm-hmm. Right. And so as, you know, as we sort of launch into a bit more of like what this podcast is going to look like and, and, and how we're hoping to proceed, I do think that it's important to talk about the sort of elephant in the room in that like, yes, I'm a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus. I do feel like it needs to be said and I want to say it that I completely support the LGBTQIA plus movement completely and fully, totally accepting of Jesus loves everyone. Um, and I say that not in like a sort of quote unquote tolerant way, but I genuinely believe that God doesn't make mistakes when he makes people and that we should listen to communities that we don't belong to who talk about identity because it's, it's not ours. We don't, we can't understand that, right? Mm-hmm. I'm absolutely, I'm pro people <laughs> of all kinds, shapes, sizes, colors, all of it. It is such a shame that we, I feel like I have to caveat by saying that. Mm. And we talked a little bit about this, right? When we were sort yeah. of talking about how to how to do this podcast, because we don't want this to feel like it only applies to you if you follow Jesus. I don't think that's true. Yeah. The Christian community, you know, a lot of what we see, especially in, especially in this country, especially all wrapped up in politics and all of that. Oh man, just the things in the news and we're just known for what we're against instead of what we're for. Mm-hmm. We're known for who we hate instead of who we love. Yep. And I honestly believe it's because <laughs> Christians are missing the core message of the gospel, which is, hey, we can't try hard enough to fix our lives and mm-hmm. fix our relationship with God or with the higher power or with each other or even with ourselves. But they think you can. They think, oh, well, you're just, you're evil. You're just, you can't, you're not trying hard enough in your choices, you know, whatever it is. And my husband always says something about like how, why would people want to follow our rules without knowing our God, but Mm. they don't want to know our God because all we care about is our rules. Right. We (laughs) want to focus on who he is Mm -hmm. rather than on all of the negative messages and agendas that are attached to the church. Yeah. And so throughout talking about the 12 steps, I'm going to I'm going to definitely kind of do my best to not always focus on Jesus as the higher power. I think that it's important to say that sort of inadvertently, a lot of what we say will be sharing Jesus's message because it's sort of impossible to not talk about because we're talking about things like forgiveness. We're talking mm-hmm. about loving ourselves and loving other people well. Mm-hmm. We're talking about just even, you know, things of like how to process emotion and how to yeah. understand being a human soul on the earth. A lot of that <laughs> coincides with what Jesus said about being a person on the earth. Anyone who's listening, I don't ever want you to feel like we're pushing religion on you, that we're not, we're pushing Christianity on you or even you know, pushing Jesus on you. I just want to say that in through talking about what a lot of the steps talk about and with a connection to a, to a higher power, we will be talking about things that Jesus said. I'm not a pastor. I've never really worked for a church. Um, and so I don't super have the qualification to say this, but I, I do want to say that if you've ever been burned by a church or by mm. Christianity or by Christians, we are sorry. Mm. Uh, if you've ever been made to feel not welcome, if you've been ever made to feel judged, shamed, or made to feel less than in any way, that is not the message of Christianity. That is not the message of Jesus. With a lot of humility and with a lot of grace, I would just love to ask you, though I know it might be really, really hard because for a lot of people, their experiences with church have been some of the most definingly traumatic parts of their life. Mm. I just would love to ask you, though it might be a lot, 
to just be open to the message, even though the messengers of that message screw up a lot and are screwing up a lot right now. I just want you to know that we know that. We understand where things are at. We're not blind to what's happening right now in the world, especially with Christians in America. Mm. The message of Christianity does not reflect hate. It was never meant to. It's the opposite. To go through recovery, do you have to be a Christian? No, I would say absolutely not. I think just hundreds of thousands of people have gone through it um, and experienced incredible life change without ever calling themselves a Christian. I think the only thing that might be difficult is if you don't consider yourself remotely spiritual in any way, shape, or form, because the foundation of recovery is identifying this higher power outside of yourself. And so uh, if you're not spiritual in any way, shape, or form, that is going to be difficult for you to connect with that sense of a higher power. But I would even say that even with that, to still give the first few steps a chance, uh, because I have seen a lot of people sort through who they believe their higher power to be through Mm. those first few steps. And so- I think a lot of people would say, well, I don't know what I think or what I believe. I would just say, see if you can discover a little bit about what you believe through this process, through the first few steps. And if it is just not hitting at all and it's not resonating at all, maybe recovery is not for you or at least right now, not right now. Yeah. But um, I, would, I would challenge you to be curious. Being curious, that doesn't feel threatening. You know, it's just, it's just wondering. So, Emily, mm. as we embark on this journey... Um, (laughs) what we had talked about and what we think is sort of the best way to approach this is we are going to go through the 12 steps we're going to take a week to go through the teaching of each step Mm -hmm. and what we really want to do because we we have had incredible experiences of of talking to people and and being with people in recovery who have gone through recovery we would really love to interview people to so that they can share with you some of their amazing stories about their journey through recovery the things that they that the different steps opened up for them just sharing their experiences so that you're not just getting hey two white ladies perspective on, <laughs> yes. on, on something that is so you know that is that we the whole point of this is saying that it's for everyone so let's try and get yeah. a slice of everyone well because and, and i think stories free us you know, oh, yeah. uh, sharing our own stories, hearing other people's stories, uh, those me too moments, even in stories that feel wildly different uh, or, or sound wildly different, but feel so similar, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about, uh, some of the interviews we have lined up already. Um, uh, a man who identified as a sex addict, uh, another man who, um, was, uh, a cocaine addict and ran a gambling den, and then a few other people that um, may come on uh, talking about uh, mental health, being bipolar, mm-hmm. um, of course, alcohol, you know, just like we really, we want to cover uh, the gambit. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. There's going to be some super powerful chats. For sure. We're going to, we want to create spaces online for um, anyone who's listening along with us to have a sense of community. Like we talked about, I think community is really, really important going through something like this or even just sort of addressing it thinking about it so one thing we really wanted to talk about is that we want to make sure that this resource because that's what we really want it to be as used in the best way yes and that is to say that this in itself this podcast alone is not a replacement for a recovery program right correct 
for sure. Why? <laughs> why? Why, Emily? Why, why Ellie? <laughs> <laughs> because there is no healing apart from community, as you said. And then to really experience the power of the 12 steps, you need what in this 12 steps community is called a sponsor. Uh, and the sponsor is somebody who goes through each step with you. Um, they hear um, some of your breakthroughs, they hear about your past, uh, all that sort of thing. And so uh, without that person to go through it with, it, it really loses a lot of its power. So yeah. this is a great companion for a recovery journey. It also helps you explore whether you want to go through recovery yourself. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I, it is definitely not a replacement for actually doing the work. We're just thinking about like coming out of 2020. Um, what are we bringing with us into 2021? Obviously, we are all hoping this year is better than last year, and it had a little bit of a rough start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> what are we doing with all of these emotions and these problems that are coming up, whether they are um, stemming from what's in the news or just stemming from uh, circumstances or our lives, or even just we don't even know where they're coming from (laughs) you know they're just coming up Uh, what are we doing with all of it what are we doing in our lives that's not working how are we coping and it's not serving us what do we want for our lives Uh, joy peace freedom healing wholeness is there another way to do life so we can experience the way it was meant to be Recovery Mode was created by Ellie Main and Emily Sledge. You can contact us by emailing hello at recoverypodcast.com. Recovery Mode is produced, edited, and managed by Ellie Main. Follow us at Recovery Mode Podcast on Instagram and check out our website for other episodes, community pages, and information on how you can support this podcast and recovery resources through donation at recoverymodepodcast.com.